Hey, y'all. How you doing? Seriously, how are you doing? Like, for real? The real answer. I asked you guys this in a substack last week, one of my over-the-influence substacks, and people responded very honestly, saying, I'm not, I'm not okay. Or, I feel like I should be okay, but, 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 I'm feeling pretty terrible lately. Or, life is good, but also hard. And that, that is so true. Because life is good. I love my life. But it is also hard, and there is space for that. And I am anxious. I'm more anxious than I've been in a very long time. I think that I'm more anxious than I've been since the start of the pandemic when I had a newborn baby and I was stuck in my house with my husband and my two kids and we had no idea what the future held. I know what is contributing to my anxiety and to what is starting to feel like depression. I'm on social media all the time. I am. I am. Because I am a marketing monster for the Sicilian inheritance. Pre-order it early and often, friends. Because of that, I am on Instagram and even the TikTok constantly. And it's bad for my brain. I know that it's bad for my brain and I need to put the phone down. And I might be doing that in the next couple of weeks just to take care of myself. That's what today's episode is about. It's about taking care of yourself. It's about making the choice and saying, hey, I'm not all right. I do need help. And I have to take care of me. I have to put on my oxygen mask before I can take care of everyone else in my life. Or this isn't gonna work. Today's guest is the author of Everyone But Myself. Julie Chavez is an elementary school librarian and a mom of two boys. And when you are a working mom, there is no time for debilitating anxiety. There's not. And the terrifying aftershocks of her first panic attack left her grappling with questions about the causes of her mental health crisis and where it was going to lead next. This book resonated with me so deeply. So deeply. And I know that Julie's story is going to resonate with so many of you, too. This is a hopeful and honest account of love and loss and a husband who can't read your mind. Why can't they, by the way? Why fucking can't they? It's about disastrous family outings and finding a new path and work and life and friends and the joy of a well-lived life and how hard it is to sometimes enjoy that well-lived life. So let's just get into it. I'm not totally fine. It's okay if you're not totally fine, but I think we're all going to feel better after this episode. I'm Julie Chavez. I am an author, writer, and librarian. I live in Northern California, and I work in an elementary school. I am very much your neighbor down the street, like just doing my thing with my kids. I have two sons who are teenagers, and had always wanted to write a book and so have sort of fallen into this writing path in a really lovely way. But um, at my core, I'm just a lover of books. So I'm so excited to be part of the club now for that. But in general, my day job is still just taking elementary school library books and asking them to please take care of them a little bit better. I feel very, very badly for the school librarian at Charlie's school because he 
just just beats the shit out of these library books. And I <laughs> feel and I try. And it's because he loves them. I don't know how they still have dinosaur books that he hasn't read, but he keeps finding them and he sleeps with them and he loves them so hard. Oh. But there's like there's nothing I can do about it. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry to you and to all librarians. No. Please do not feel the need to apologize. I support that sort of love. And I will say, too, you know, I think we have some librarians in our district who don't have kids and then some who do. So for some of the ones who don't yet have children, they will say things like, how hard is it to get it back on time or to take care of it? And I think, oh, actually, it's very difficult. Like, you don't know what you don't know until you have children. Truth. Truth, my friend. So... That is a great intro into you. I love, I love your like, I'm just your neighbor. I'm just like that lady who lives across the street from you. Um, but you do have this, this book out now called Everyone But Myself. And I think it is such a raw and honest account of what it is like to live with debilitating anxiety. And so just kudos to you for putting it all out there, girl. Thank you, friend. I appreciate that. And you, I mean, one of the things you say very early on is that, look, you're busy. We're all busy. You're a mom. You're an elementary school librarian. You didn't have time for debilitating anxiety. And so you just kept taking care of everyone, everyone else but you, like we always do. Talk to me about that. Yeah, this is something that I really love talking about with people because I think it's so it's such an innocent trap. I never really thought of myself as someone who was sort of trying to outperform my feelings, but that is exactly what I was doing. And I think there is enough busyness in our lives as parents to make that possible. Like there are never ending tasks. Every day is a moving target. Every day changes eight times in between, you know, waking and 7.30 a.m. So this idea that you could just keep going until you can't go anymore. And for people to know kind of the the crux of the book is that I went through a, a season of severe anxiety and depression in 2018. And it happened on the heels of me caring for everyone but myself, like we're talking about. And it was so, I think the reason I tell people, hey, I'm your neighbor, I'm someone you know, is because it's important to know that this came on, it came upon suddenly. I can see the breadcrumbs now, obviously, and that's what therapy is for and all of those sort of hindsight uh, insights that we can garner later. So those are great. But the problem for me was that I really was just extremely busy, getting burned out, and I wasn't paying attention to my own needs. But it wasn't something that, I don't know, it just came upon very suddenly, I'm a person with a happy marriage. I have healthy children. I have resources. I have a job. I mean, I have all of these things that on paper should sort of inoculate me against falling into this mental health pit. And not one of those things made a difference. And then also seeing that I was so disconnected from myself. I'm kind of a natural optimist. So to find myself in this anxious, horrible moment was a surprise. So I think that's why when I talk about it, though, I I want people to see it as a very human experience because it really was about the most human parts of me. Of course it was. Of course it was. And I think so many 
women and men, but I mean, let's let's be honest, most of our listeners, except for Nick Astor, my husband, are women. Um, so many of course. people, so many people have gone through this. So I want to start at the beginning. It's 2018. You're doing everything for everyone else. Again, mm-hmm. so relatable. And like, when did you know that, okay, shit, I've got, to, I have to do something about this. And I want to, I want to hear about the nitty gritty. I want to hear about, you know, the symptoms that come on that are physical and the symptoms that are, that are more mental and emotional, because I think that those are very different. I agree completely. And that's a really good question. So 20, it, the story really begins or kind of the piece of this story, it begins with my first major panic attack in 2018. But the seeds of that were planted in 2017 because I had gone to have an immunotherapy shot. I have terrible allergies. So do my kids. And so we were all getting these regular immunotherapy shots. And you go, you wait for a half an hour and then you go home because basically If you're going to have a systemic reaction, it's typically within that first 30 minutes. So I went, we left, and then I had a systemic. So I went back. They had to give me epinephrine. They gave me prednisone, which will really just mess up your mental state in a very effective way. And then I sort of found myself so scared. I laid on the table having this epinephrine coursing through me, and I was so terrified of dying. And to me, dying meant abandoning my children. I feared for what would happen for them uh, if something happened to me. I just felt this intense need. And I think, you know, as a mother of young children, that was extremely normal and valid, but I didn't have any space for processing that. So I just put it in a little box and then I started working on all these other to-do lists. So in the spring, the anxiety started slowly. So things would kind of creep up. And basically, like if it's a graph, there were, you know, there would be a small blip and then a slightly larger blip, but it was always enough that I could return to baseline. So when I was feeling like that, you know, my heart rate would increase. I would feel hot. Um, A lot of times just feel that kind of buzzing feeling, but then it would subside and I could sort of get back to normal. But then when I had the first panic attack, I had normal allergy symptoms just out and about. And then I had this thought of what if I've messed up my system with these shots and now I'm just going to die because I'm allergic to these stupid trees. And that was enough. Mondo was out of town. He was traveling at the time a lot. And I came home and I couldn't turn off the lights. I was shaky and again, hot, which was that sort of panic attack feeling. But then the next day when I woke up, it was almost like I had entered into a different phase. So I was cold and shivery, and I basically felt like I was electrified, like there was a low current buzzing at all times. And the problem for me was that I couldn't pinpoint what was happening. And it started to make me more and more stressed. And then as I started to reach out, you know, some of my first attempts didn't work, but that was really the crux of it. I think the the way that I started describing it at the time was I I had flipped a switch and I couldn't get it back in the off position. So I just felt terrified all the time. And my mind did a lot of work to figure out what might be causing that. And in doing that, it was like, oh, it could be that thing on your ring finger. That's probably going to kill you. It's probably flesh eating bacteria from the nail salon. Like I, my brain just went into overtime of worst case scenarios. I mean, I can relate so much because I have 
I have also gone through periods of debilitating anxiety and I've been on and off Zoloft for years now. I mean, since, well, since my early thirties and I held, I don't even know how old I am at this point. I'm 43. So for 13, 13 years now for at least over a decade. And yeah, I mean, I, but when, when it first happened to me and especially a decade ago, I feel like there was a lot less language around it and a lot more stigma. So what happened next for you? What did you do? Did you keep trying to put this in a box or were you like, this is out of the box? I'm fucked. This is so out of the box. You know, I think it's so valuable. First, what you're saying about we didn't have as much language about it. And this was even 2018, I feel like, which isn't that long ago. Um, so thankfully I had enough. I went to therapy in high school, which was not common in 1995, but I had had a period of depression during that time that looked very different and a friend who had died. So there were things I was working through at that time. And so I at least knew I need help. So I was hopeful that it was going to be easy help. So I was really like, okay, I'm just going to go. It's probably my hormones. I was convinced that maybe there was a quick fix here. And I ended up going to my gynecologist because after Nolan, my oldest son was born, I definitely had um, some postpartum depression. I didn't medicate for it during the time, though I definitely could have. I was so outside myself at that time. And luckily, my mom was able to kind of come back. But it really was my gynecologist at the time who looked at Mondo while I'm just sitting here like a shell of a person in this postpartum appointment. And he, she said to him, what are we going to do to get her help? And it was this wonderful feeling of like, oh, the adults are going to take over. Thank God. So I think that rescue feeling, though, had stuck with me. So I went to see my gynecologist and she told me to quit my job as the librarian. And she even wrote me a permission slip for it. And it was this bizarre experience where I, you know, smiled and nodded and, of course, never went back. But I took this permission slip from her and thought, this can't be the right answer, but is it the right answer? So I think that's where things really got sticky for me because I realized at that moment I had no, no conduit or no, no sense of what my gut was telling me. I just, I was totally disconnected from myself. So that started a whole kind of new phase where I was questioning things all the time and ended up finally finding a therapist went to therapy, and then things went downhill because I had sort of opened up enough of Pandora's box. So on Mother's Day of 2018, I was sitting in the tub sobbing, and I thought, I'm sliding too far too fast. So I went and saw my PA the next day. Thankfully, he had a beat on what was happening. I started Zoloft, my favorite SSRI of the day. And yeah, it's, um, my, it's my favorite I think, too. I, try, I tried other ones and I don't, yeah, this is Zoloft. I mean, I feel like Zoloft should just sponsor my show and my life and like my book tour too, maybe. And like, hey guys, I mean, I know that yes. you're always looking for ways to like reach a new audience, like, because I talk about you all the time, Zoloft. 100%. I think there's really an opportunity there and we've said it enough. And I don't know if people know you have a book coming out, The Sicilian Inheritance. I just want to make sure I put that in there for you. <laughs> um, I think my my audience is like, fuck you, Piazza. <laughs> They're like, we, we we get it. We get it. We have pre-ordered. But if you haven't, please pre-order The Sicilian Inheritance today. 
your yep and get a lifetime subscription to over the influence when exactly. you DM thank you your proof of thank purchase. you thank you You're for saying it so i didn't I'm have to yeah, yeah support support my friend. but also quick plug it is so good i'm halfway through and literally when we finish this recording i'm gonna go read i am neglecting all my responsibilities which is the mark of a good book so <laughs> thank think, you sorry that was obviously oh i am loving it it's giving me just so many like it's it's so propulsive it's so good i'm i knew i would like it i am loving it so I will report back. Thank you. Thank you. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive more into this wonderful book of yours, Everyone But Myself. Under the Influence is brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef is one of the ways that I'm trying to make life just a little bit easier as both a mom of three children and as a woman who feels like they have four full-time jobs. I mean, I think I actually do have four full-time jobs at this point. Green Chef is a meal kit company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit absolutely every lifestyle and all of your picky eaters. And I've got a lot of picky eaters in this house. Whether you are keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking to eat more balanced meals and not be the only person in your house taking on the mental load of meal planning and grocery shopping and all of those things that make us exhausted, Green Chef will have recipes to suit your preferences and your household. Every week you get to choose from more than 80 flavor-packed options, including their new calorie-smart recipes and their wellness bundles, which we've been talking about that a lot. Apparently, January and February are the months where we, we think about those kinds of things. Green Chef offers unique farm-fresh ingredients like figs and dates and artichokes and sustainably sourced seafood. It's also easy. It's so easy. They deliver everything you need to make convenient and delicious meals right to your doorstep. Right there. That's where I, that's where I want it. I want it dropped off right at my door. So go to greenchef.com slash 60 under the influence and use the code 60 under the influence to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That is greenchef.com slash 60 under the influence with the code 60 under the influence to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well for a reason. Under the Influence is also sponsored by Etitude. I prioritize sleep. I prioritize sleep over a lot of other things. I am maybe not as social as I would like to be because sleep is a major, major part of keeping me sane. It just is. It is. And I love these attitude sheets because when you're prioritizing sleep, you just want to climb into bed and make it feel like a cloud. You do. And these are so soft and so cozy and they look good even when my bed's not made. Sometimes I'm snapping an Instagram and my messy bed is behind me and people are still like, those are some good looking sheets. They are. These unbelievably soft, clean bamboo sheets have over 20,000 five-star reviews, which is a lot of five-star reviews. I would love the Sicilian inheritance to have that many five-star reviews. In a controlled sleep study, sleep efficacy was improved by 1.5% per night. I feel good sleeping on these guys. I do. Simply put, these attitude sheets are helping me get better sleep. And attitude is so sure that you're going to love sleeping with them 
that you can try any Attitude Bedding risk-free for 30 nights. And if you're not completely satisfied, you can return it for a full refund. Never miss a good night's rest again. You can't. You have too much to do. You can get $35 off your order of $175 or more, plus free shipping for a limited time when you visit attitude.com slash under the influence. That is attitude.com slash under the influence for $35 off your order of $175 or more, plus free shipping for a limited time. Happy sleeping, friends. It's time to get cozy. And we are back. So this started happening to you in 2018, and you got in touch with your PA, you ended up getting on the Zoloft. At what point did you think, hey, I should write a book about this? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's really a funny, it's such a funny stretch. So basically, it was a year of time where once I got on the Zoloft, and I did want to say, I know we were talking earlier just about the debilitating part. Like I had, when I was in the tub on Mother's Day, I had reached a point where I didn't care who knew that I wasn't mm-hmm. well. All, all I wanted was to feel better because there is nothing like that desperation and that feeling disconnected from yourself. So I think just when I look back, the intensity of that experience is still with me. Thankfully, now it's with me in more of like a, uh, thank God I don't feel that way anymore. And sort of knowing we had some challenges this year. And I told Mondo at one point, you know, I know what the worst thing is. And the worst thing is when I don't feel like me. And so if as long as I feel like me, I can handle whatever comes. So that that has been a really good journey. But as to the book, I was with my principal. So I saw her in that spring of 2018 and cried through my annual review. And she was very comforting and such a good friend to me in that moment. And just such an example of how we can care for people when they come to us just in their brokenness. And I'm so grateful for that. So then after a year of therapy and meds and really making some intentional changes around our house and around our life, I had my review again at the same time. And I had been writing a blog since 2012. And it was read basically by like my mom and my sister and a few random friends, including my principal. And she had said to me years earlier, you should write a book. You're a really great writer. And I said, I would love to write a book, but I just don't know what the story would be. And so Here we are in this meeting, and I said, Shay, that's her name. I said, Shay, thank you for caring for me because I think that this is something that happens to a lot of women. This is not just my story. And she said, well, that's what you should write your book about. Wow. I love that. I love this. I love that. That is, we should all have that person in our lives. I know. And so... You you did say that you took these, I'm, I'm going to back up, I'm constantly like rewinding and being like, but go back to this. You took some very intentional steps to change things. What were, what were some of those? This is my favorite part of having the book out in the world because it's, there are some challenges to it, as you know, but mm-hmm. I think my favorite 
part is talking about these things because these are the changes and the lessons I learned and they still hold. So the things that we changed were, well, first of all, I started talking about my feelings again. What had mm-hmm. happened was I'm a very emotional person, but Mondo was traveling. I was at home. I took 30 hours of work and popped it on top of the rest of our life. And I managed everything at home. So then I I bring in this job after 10 years of only staying at home. Or not only, you know what I mean. Sorry, I was totally, you know, totally. Well, there well I, at but home. But yes. Isn't it so isn't it so interesting that that's the language that we default to, that we yeah. fall back on? It is. It totally yes. is. Yes. All of us, everyone. Um, I think that, you know, no matter where you work inside or outside the home, everyone kind of falls back on that language and it seems so impossible to correct sometimes. I agree completely. So just trying to catch myself with it. But um, no, so I that, go back yeah. to doing this other job. Yes, doing this other job at school. But I put everything on and Mondo was traveling constantly. And what happens, you know, this is the the thing is that I think the specificity of our lives can be very isolating. So I have a traveling spouse. Not everyone knows what that looks like. Just like if you're married to a doctor and they have weird hours or, you know, everyone's life is very is very specific and your kids are X way and Y way. So you're trying to figure everything out. But basically, Mondo was gone and being sort of a practical person, you know, a lot of times he was in a different time zone and a million things happen in one day with kids. And people know this. Everything's changing. But you know, we get on the phone at night and they'd be like, how was your day? Good. How was your day? Yeah, great. Okay. When are you flying home tomorrow? I mean, we became just sort of logistical partners and we are tight. Like I have a good friendship with my husband and even for us, that was a tricky thing. So what I stopped doing was I stopped telling people when things were hard and he was the first on that list. So one of the things I started doing was telling everyone about my feelings, which was very disorienting for everyone for a little bit. But then it was really a reclamation of, no, this is too much. I'm doing too much. I'm exhausted. Whatever the things were from the day, or this happened and it upset me, or I'm, you know, I'm worried about our kids' future for this many reasons, because I think that's all baked into it too for moms. So I think getting honest about that, obviously therapy was a huge safe place for me because it was like an hour of self-indulgence. And I mean that as a positive thing because I needed to care for myself and for me to go and talk to my therapist for an hour and not have to worry about whether I was being a me monster or turning into an asshole was a gift. So I think talking about my feelings, I started drinking enough water. And this was, it's such a simple thing, but what it was, was an attentiveness to my physical needs. So I started exercising again and I had during the time kind of leading up to the panic attack, I had been going to a bar method studio and then it closed. And that doesn't, you know, that's not earth shattering material, but it was a big shift in my life, but I didn't give space for that. So, so much started with paying attention and then it extended out to the kids where, you know, they, I taught them to do their own laundry. They started making their own lunches where they were able to be independent. They were because it was really like, I can't, I now know the cost of this self-neglect and it is very bad. So I think 
a lot of those things, it's really informed how we talk to each other. So I think those are the, the main things that I really attended to. And then over time, that has developed into paying attention to how I'm feeling or giving myself what I need. I really, it's a befriending of myself, which shouldn't be hard to do, but very much is. Of course it is. I think it's hard for, I mean, I'm just listening to you right now, nodding and going, yep, yep, yep. And when, when Nick travels, I don't even talk to him anymore. He's such a dick. Because, right? But, well, because I'm, you know, he, he actually, he travels less now. But starting when B was really, really little, he was gone all the time. And when he traveled, life was hell. It was so hard. And I had gone off so loft when I was pregnant with B. And so, and, you know, then the pandemic was like ramping up and it hadn't happened. And he was traveling before that. And I was an anxious disaster. And he'd call and be like, hey, I'm just checking in. And I'm like, shut the fuck up. I don't want to, I don't want, I'm not going to explain my day. I don't want to hear, I don't want to, I don't want to hear that you're having a nice happy hour and a karaoke party with your fucking colleagues. Shut up. Um, and it's hard to get out of that state. So I'm just nodding along with all of the things and everything you're saying to try to, you know, just shift things to make life. It's not even easier, but to, to, to make life better for you should be obvious. And there's so, it's so not obvious when you're in it. Mm -mm. You're exactly right. And I think the thing about a spouse who travels too is that there's the physical distance and we can stay somewhat connected, but you really can't. But I also find that to be true. I think even when Mondo was home, I know that when the boys were little, the differences between our worlds were crazy making. Because like you're saying, he went out to happy hour with his colleagues and people were barfing on me. And I just was like, we can't, there's no middle ground here. There's no middle ground here. No, 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 not at all. Mm -hmm. But you, but you, but you made those changes and then, you know, you, and you started writing this book. And what I think is incredible about this book and, you know, I think even this conversation is the, the writing it down and the saying it out loud, mm -hmm. because as women, we don't do it enough. And I hate to bring everything back to social media, but this is a podcast that is ostensibly about social media. And but I'm we don't glad. show <laughs> but we but we don't show those parts of it. And also anxiety is hard to show. Um a panic attack is hard to show and we see so much perfection and not the other and not even the fixes either. Like I'm not going to take a video of my kids learning to do their own laundry or putting their dishes in the sink books and words and conversations like this, I think so many women and mothers are going to see themselves in this and say, yes, me too, me too, me too. There has been, uh, the early reception has felt very much like that. So many people have said, this is my life. Get out of my head. You're, <laughs> hey, creep. But it is, it's because it's so, it's so universal because we really, and a lot of it, I think this is why I talk about it being a little bit innocent, because we love our lives and we love our people and we're grateful for them and it's hard, but we don't have good language to encompass all that. I mean, what a privilege to have kids that are healthy and wonderful and we can connect with. I mean, there's just, I, 
it's a miracle. And I'm so thankful for that. So to, you know, sort of drill it down to its, I don't know, it's sort of like banal things that are happening around it. It feels like I'm not doing it justice. So I think there's that, how do you, how do we hold both of those at once? That this is a beautiful privilege and it's also the hardest thing we will do. And I think trying to keep those together is something I'm constantly working on. But I hope that, to your point, that there is space for women to have these conversations. Like, I hope this is a book club book, because I think that that's the thing is that one of my coworkers read the book and she said to me, I didn't know you were going through that. And I said, yeah, I'm aware. I hit it very well. But it also was until I didn't, of course, and wrote a book mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. But it was this idea that we are, even people that are close to us and in our orbits, we we hide from that. And I think some of it's fear and, you know, some of it's we're trying to do our best. I, I don't know. It's a tricky one. So anything that opens up a conversation to say, hey, I wasn't okay, and not only to stop with, it's okay not to be okay. Yes, that is true. But also, we don't want to live that way. So how do I make small changes in my life that actually support me and make sure that there's space for me in my life? Exactly, exactly. And that is why I think everyone but myself should be a book club book because we need to be having these conversations. I I say all the time to my friends and my husband, I'm like, I know for a fact that I present as someone who's got their shit together. And I'm like, I, because I, you know, I, I do, I get things done no matter how much of a mess I am on the inside. But also none of it is easy. And so I feel like my husband and friends often don't check in on me as much as maybe I could use because they're like, you see, you're fine. You're totally fine. I'm like, I'm actually not fine. I just want everyone to know. Like just maybe a check-in once in a while. Hey, do you have too much on a on on your plate? Are you doing too much? Um, how can I support you? Or even a, like even a cheerleading, be like, hey, I'm really proud of you because I feel like when you think that someone is performing well all the time, they don't need to hear those things. And so, I I do feel like I'm reminding Nick. I'm like, yeah, I think that you know I'm kind of a high functioning mess, and I just want to remind you of that. And I think a lot of us. A lot of us are kind of high-functioning messes. So, that, yeah, that's my long, convoluted way of being like, we should all be talking about this book. I love that phrase, and I am going to use that. I am a high-functioning mess for sure. And I think it's kind of the trick of being competent, right? Where it reminds me of that Shel Silverstein poem where it says, maybe if you do the dishes and you drop one on the floor, then maybe they won't let you do the dishes anymore. And yes. so when you... Yes. So when you are, yeah, I think it's called dishes, but I think it all the time where I don't let the plates drop at my own cost. And then that's where you end up. Yeah. It's like a trap of being someone who can get things done, but we need that sort of reassurance and support. And I think with your partner too, that's something that Mondo and I have learned. And in this time we really did where you know, we talk about it, the mental load and all of these things, but saying to him, I need you to manage this. And by manage it, I mean soup to nuts. You have to do this because I can't think about it. Because a lot of times too, it's the, well, tell me how to help. And I'm like, see, that's not helpful. That's unhelpful. I don't want to tell you what to do. I don't want to tell you what to do. I mean, it is like, it is the same with housework and sex. 
Okay. I don't want to tell you how to, how to, how to do it for me. And I don't want to tell you how to do it for me. Okay. Housework and sex. Don't want to, I don't, I do not want to be your teacher. I want to be your wife. (laughs) It's so true though. That is, those are an excellent dovetail. And I also did want to just ping on something you said, just with the social media piece. Someone asked me an interesting question recently at one of my events. And she said, do you think if you had seen more portraits of people, kind of a mess, high functioning messes on social media, that you would have avoided some of this? And the answer is no, because it was my it was my arrogance. Right. I would have scrolled right past that and been like, oh, I'm fine. I got this. Like it just I think sometimes you have to be in a desperate place to to understand, you know, that we are all this sort of human feeling. But then once you're there. There is a wonderful support of people. So I'm so glad it's on social media, but so much comes back to you have to pay attention to what's working for you in your real life. And that might even be your relationship with social media. Like, where does it give you joy? Where does it suck from you? Like what? And only you can know that. You know, I think that's one of the interesting things right now. We're trying to suss out, you know, what feels good and what doesn't. But that's an individual question. Right. And how much is social media causing or adding to your anxiety, which is a whole other episode, my friend. It really is. It really is. Your social media therapy episode, and she was talking about all of the clients talking about it. I was like, this is insane. I can't believe it. And yet, of course, I can believe it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, it's again, the things that we say out loud and this this is how this is how we change things and change our lives and change minds. And it's just by talking, by having these kinds of conversations. Mm-hmm. So I'm just I want this I want this book. I want everyone but myself to be a book club pick because of all the reasons we just said, but also because I just want to read the beginning of chapter 10, which I love so much. Um, hold on. I'm, just, I'm flipping. I'm flipping through. Uh, all right. When Eli was in first grade, his classmate Trevor punched him in the stomach at recess, out of sight of the teacher. Trevor had been a turd all year. I just love you for calling a child a turd in this book. I really do. Um, Because so many people's children are turds, and we don't, that's another thing we don't talk about enough in the world. No, we do not. And especially, here's the thing. I work in an elementary school. It is my job, part of my job that I see it, is to leave room for these kids to grow. Was Trevor being a turd? Absolutely. Do I believe he will lead a turdish life? I really hope not. So Maybe. Maybe that idea of like, yeah, but he might. He might. Mm -hmm. But this idea of, yeah, calling it like it is and saying, that was crappy because kids can be vicious. 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 Mm -hmm. Totally. So, yes, I mean, many reasons to buy this book, but especially because you call Trevor a turd. And it. Plus, I just love the word turd because it's so just much. so like, I don't know. I know. It's so gently demeaning. Gently. <laughs> exactly. 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 Tell, tell everyone where they can find you. Everyone can find me on, hey, Instagram. I don't know if we've heard of that. It's the only one I'm on currently with any sort of uh, regularity. But I'm on Instagram at Julie Writes Words. That's Julie Writes Words. I said it fast. And then my website is juliewritesWords.com. 
And in general, that is uh, where you'll find me. And when I'm not there, I am sitting in the backyard with a book. That's all we've got for today. Thank you for being here and for listening and supporting this show. If you love us, share us with a friend, leave us a review, go do something nice for yourself. You deserve it.